Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. We got to start looking at value rather than price. And I think that that's not really news, I think, to the community. But again, there are a lot more people that are going to be washed out. So if that sounds obvious now. I don't think it's quite obvious enough to everyone. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Ash Patel and I'm with today's guest, George Roberts. George is joining us from Macomb, Michigan. He is the principal of Roberts Capital, George's portfolio consists of five apartment properties with 310 total units, one single family rental, and three single family homes under construction. George, thank you for joining us. And how are you today? Doing well, Ash. And thank you so much for having me on the show. It's our pleasure. George, before we get started, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Yeah, absolutely. I came from bioscience and I decided I was going to take all those tech skills and apply it to the world of real estate. So I go out as the data scientist of real estate. I like to make it fun and exciting to learn about things like macroeconomics and housing. So what I do these days is I go out and I buy apartments. I like to help people come along with me. I like to syndicate. I think it's a, it's a great business to be in. It's a lot of fun and a great way to build wealth. How did you get started in real estate? Well, it's over a dozen years ago now. I became an accidental landlord. It was the depths of the Great Recession, not a good time to sell your home. So decided we'd hold on to it. And we sort of moved up. That's when we moved out to Macomb County, the neighboring county, where home prices were just a whole lot cheaper, not just because of the Great Recession. And over the years, we did really well with that first investment because we would have gotten maybe half of what we had purchased it for if we had sold it to move up, but by keeping it as a rental, got some great cash flow, introduced me to the great world of real estate. And from there, years later, I decided that when I wanted to go into real estate full time, that I would do it at scale. What was your first multifamily purchase? So this was in Orlando. We bought a 14 unit apartment, really beautiful little project. It was in a very decent area, actually, just a few minutes south of the downtown area. And 
all the apartments around us had been repositioned. So that gave us the idea that, look, this really makes sense. The only reason this thing was left there is that it was a lot smaller than its cohorts, 14 units versus a lot of these were 100, 150 or more. So that really validated the business plan. We bought that over three years ago. We're refinancing it right now. We've more than doubled the rents. We had great tailwinds. Orlando has done extraordinarily well. And then with our renovations, wow, rents just have gone through the roof. Were you uncomfortable buying something across the country from Michigan? Well, I would say that it takes a little time to get comfortable with that. The whole concept of multifamily or commercial real estate in general, buying something that's large enough to make it worthwhile to take a quick plane trip out. Now I'm in Michigan, a couple hundred bucks, hop on a plane, round trip ticket. I can be out there. It's not a big deal. It's not easy to do that for a single family home. Not easy to justify that. So yes, it took a little getting used to, but I wouldn't say that it was terribly worrisome knowing that it's been done before. George, what were the biggest challenges in remotely managing and renovating that property? We still had to have boots on the ground. So one of my partners moved out there. He supervised the construction and also did a lot of the early property management. So I'm not going to say that you should ever attempt this without somebody as boots on the ground. But again, one's plenty. As part of the deal, your partner had to move to Orlando. Not bad. <laughs> That's right. Not bad on his end either. I think he enjoys it and really intends to live there a little bit longer. And hopefully we do some more deals out there. I meant not bad for him. Like, I caught that. I don't know if you got a video version of this, but yeah, definitely. We'll catch the smile on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot worse places you, uh, he could have gone. Right. <laughs> what was your next purchase? So from there, I did a co-GP deal that really introduced me to syndication. It's something I'd always wanted to done. The first one was a JV. And from there, I moved up into the ranks of the GP, did some more deals as a GP and also more JVs. I think a lot of the smaller deals really make sense. So I don't intend to stop doing JVs just because syndication is also good. When you say smaller deals make sense, explain that, please. Sure. I think there's a lot of competition. There are a lot of people turning out students very quickly over the last maybe 10 years. Market's been going up. That's all well and good. We needed a lot of people. We needed an army to go out and recondition these old apartments. These repositionings really helped to revitalize the housing stock. But now you see interest rates have increased and there's a lot of competition. So I think you got to go and look where other people aren't if you want to be successful, particularly if you're a little newer in the game. And I've been at this for over three years now, but again, I never really got into the 200 plus unit apartments. I have some in the hundred range, but again, it really makes sense to get something from say mom and pa. They don't necessarily optimize their asset and you have this opportunity to buy something perhaps below market, something that's not optimized and something where you as a professional have the opportunity to add a whole lot of value. So less competition and the ability to add more value, I think make a whole lot of sense. George, can we dive into the details of that code GP deal? The first one, yeah. So uh, some people I met through Yona Weiss's LinkedIn challenge. And it was great because I was at the point in my life where I really wanted to step up and they really just needed some capital and they were getting close to the end. It was an assumption. So as you could imagine, as prices had shot up and at the same time offering an extraordinarily low interest rate, there's a little bit of balance there to get that interest rate. Well, then they had to raise a little more capital and that's where the co-GPs came in. 
you were a code GP. Does that mean you raised capital for that deal? Yeah, I did. And obviously some other things like looking at the comps and asset management, et cetera. But yeah, that's really the thin edge of the wedge. You get into the deals by the ability to raise capital. So they were willing to take somebody who was a little newer because there was so much capital required for the deal. You had not raised capital before. Is that correct? That's correct. How did you do that? This is your first time raising capital and it's on a co-GP deal. How do you go about doing that? Right. So I had a little bit of a following. I want to say at that point, I believe I was already about uh, six or seven months into my podcast. Of course, I got the idea from reading the best ever book. Joe always tells everybody, go out and make that thought leadership platform. So I did that through Yona Weiss, helped to build myself hugely on LinkedIn. So I just had a following and I think that that was seen as a bit of currency, but things were different back then. It was a lot easier to raise capital. Yeah. A little different now. What's changed in how you raise capital today? Are you asking me what are the differences? Well, what I notice is that you generally have a lot more co-GPs on deals these days. Deals are just getting bigger. It's harder to close deals. You have a lot more deals that are falling through. And as we continue, I think people just have to be more professional. I think it's going to be the people that have great platforms, people who have taken the time to get their name out, and people who have shown a great track record, not just of getting people's money back with a solid return, but also integrity. Do you communicate? Are you the sort of person that people really want to work with? I think the poor communicators, the people that really haven't done as well for the investors, they're going to get swept out pretty quickly. Already are. George, on that co-GP deal, how much did you raise and how were you rewarded for that raise? Gosh, that's a great question because I didn't really raise a whole lot. I want to say it was only like 150000 first time out, if I remember correctly. And you got some of the uh, acquisition fee and that's fine. It, it was good. It was first time out again and I did stick with the team and make sure that I'm helping with the asset management. But really, they did me a favor. Forget about the acquisition fee. This was an opportunity to step up. And that was really the greatest value of that deal to myself. So it's your job to interact with your investors mm -hmm. that you raise capital from. Yeah, among other things. I think that's standard. You let people's investors be their investors. And that's fair from a lot of standpoints, including the workload. So if you bring them on, it's your responsibility to take care of them. And you should because you want them to invest in your next deal. How's the returns on that deal? Oh, really good. We're already getting many offers, millions of dollars above what we paid. We really want to hit our numbers. And that was only, I want to say, November of 2021 that that deal came into my world. So the deal is not necessarily terribly long in the tooth. And again, there's already the possibility that we could, who knows, have an exit even soon and hit the numbers. But either way, it doesn't matter because we're cash flowing very nicely. And if we hold on for that top dollar offer and we do hold it three, four, five years, it's good. Do you get to benefit from the upside as well? Or is it just your investor? Yeah, I did put some cash in as an LP in the deal as well. So I will get some from that. But to be quite honest, I really wasn't too worried about getting a full slice of the GP, et cetera, et cetera. Really, the whole thing is that I just really wanted to join the team. To be honest, I wasn't even really sophisticated enough to ask. Ideas like full slice and what does this consist of really didn't entirely cross my mind. Probably would have been a good idea, but perhaps more importantly, I did get on board. So I guess I would tell people if you're going to go and do it, yeah, you should be as sophisticated as possible since you're listening to this podcast. You'll have a couple of ideas that you might not have had otherwise. But again, 
most important thing is just getting that first deal. That law of the first deal is powerful. What is full slice? Okay. So you were asking, do you get any benefit from the upside? So let's kind of decode that. The idea is like when it's sold or when there's a capital markets event, like a refinance, do you get any of that? Uh, actually, I should say really it's the end, but the full slice refers to that you're getting all the fees, everything from the acquisition to the disposition fee. So if you get a full slice, essentially you are fully and completely a general partner. Understood. Thank you. George, you seem very methodical on what you're doing, when you're doing it, and how you're doing it. In terms of the thought leadership platform, you mentioned the podcast. What else are you implementing? Well, so many different things. I've got a weekly call every Wednesday at noon Eastern. We get on Zoom and I call it CRE Network where deals are made. I also like to get out on a lot of podcasts. Uh, let me just see. I mean, I feel like there's all these things I'm doing. And then we also split up the podcast. We've got a lot of segments there that even go out on their own, like uh, the final seven questions, et cetera. But I'd like to talk about housing economics on YouTube. That's another thing. So you might see my housing reports out there. So the biggest thing for me is the podcast and the weekly call, but all kinds of stuff. I have all kinds of material that goes out on various socials. Understood. Where do you see yourself in the next three to five years? Well, I'd really like to grow. And I think that interest rates are falling. They may already be falling. Let's hope this is not a fake out, as they say. But we could very easily see interest rates falling and we could be back to the good old days. I've been working to expand my network. People send me deals. I vastly prefer that to talking to brokers. Brokers are great, by the way, if you're listening, brokers. But I really enjoy working particularly with newer people, helping to mentor them. And that's how I plan to grow. So, hey, send me your deals. Let's talk about it. Let's see if we can make things work, especially because I'm somebody who's willing to work on these smaller deals. I think that makes that an appropriate way for growth. George, what makes you think rates are going to fall? Well, inflation has to some degree been tamed and perhaps maybe even more to the point, how long can we keep rates at this level and sustain our national debt? We haven't really seen any signs of slowing down. In fact, in recent years, particularly with COVID, we've sped up in terms of national expenditures, the deficit as it contributes to the national debt, which is just monumental. The funny thing is I could have said that any time in the last 20, 30 years, same thing. It, it was always true. And, and unfortunately, it probably always will be. So I don't think that we can really sustain high interest rates for terribly long. I think that the Fed is going to have to blink whether it likes it or not. That's an interesting theory, and not enough people are talking about that. People were panicking when the national debt was 40 to 50% of GDP, right? Mm -hmm. Today, we are at 120% of GDP, and our annual deficits, it's a parabolic graph where our annual deficits are rising faster than they ever have. And you're right, there's a huge impact with high rates and U.S. government having to repay their obligations. My pushback on rates being reduced anytime soon is historically the Fed has overshot in both directions. They've kept rates too low for too long. Then when they rise, they raise them too high and they overshoot. The other thing is market sentiment is one of the weapons in the Fed's arsenal. And right now the market seems to have priced in the Fed taking a break and perhaps reducing rates. And that doesn't really help the Fed's mission. Their mission is to slow down the economy, kill jobs, reduce inflation. So 
historically, haven't they always overshot? I think that's very true. If you want to go right down to the data, I am an award-winning data scientist, love talking about data. 1996, I want to say, is the only time that in recent history that they've ever had a so-called soft landing. If you look at how much the increased rates, I want to say it was about 250 basis points, paltry compared to what's going on here. Can we even call that a soft landing? So absolutely, I think that they do keep rates too low for too long. The most recent example of that, really, we're still living through the tech bubble right now. We had the tech bubble, and then we had a slight recession. We saw rates go down. We had the Great Recession. They went down again, went down to zero. They stayed at virtually zero until 2018. And essentially, we're living with 20 years of zero or virtually zero interest rate policy. The hangover on this might be significantly greater than that on prior recession. So I will say I did express the opinion that I think rates are going to go down and that it won't be terribly much longer. But I can also see the other side of it. I do tend to think probabilistically. I built predictive models and making predictions is very difficult. There's always that possibility that no matter how unlikely that the other side of the coin is that which emerges. And again, it could be that we have higher for longer. We don't know. Yeah. Love having these conversations and I don't know either. I'm spitting in the wind myself. So thank you for that conversation. But the one thing, there's a lot of talk about a soft landing and I tried to research the previous economic downturns. I never found evidence of any soft landing. What happened in 96? As I said, it was pretty paltry. I don't remember exactly off the top of my head, but again, I want to say that it was between two and 3% that they increased rates and then brought it down a little bit. Back in the days that Alan Greenspan would say things like, I know you heard or you think you heard what I said, but that's not what I said. I mean, he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. Really, the guy just kept things really low. I don't mean to sound negative on him. I think he's quite brilliant. But again, we're living through the consequences of those decisions now, and it's not an easy time, and things may get much worse. Yeah, and Greenspan had a lot of pressure on him because that was Tex heyday. Every time he raised rates, he was the hated guy. Nobody liked them. And then every time he raised rates, everyone took a sigh of relief. Oh, okay, good. We're done now. We're done. Yeah. We're done. That's right. I can read a story if you don't mind. If I remember, I think it was, in fact, that the first time that he did raise rates, he got a letter from Paul Boker saying, well, you're a real fed head now. <laughs> <laughs> because he was famous for taking the heat. And I think that we're all quite thankful to him, even the people that were hurt, because obviously there were people that were hurt by those actions. Yeah, we were living in high times back then where everybody's 401k statements were going through the roof. No matter what stock you bought, you look like a stockbroker because they were all winners, right? Those were the good old days. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Deciding how to invest your capital is more challenging than ever. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company with a solid track record and that has thrived through various economic cycles. Companies like BAM Capital. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator that has delivered a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has never missed a preferred payment never lost an LP's investment, and never called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital is currently raising capital for a fund designed for accredited investors 
targeting a 15 to 20% IRR and a 2 to 2.5x equity multiple to its investors over a three to five year hold period. If you're an accredited investor and you want to learn more about multifamily investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com. Again, that's capital.thebamcompanies.com. George, coming back to real estate and rates, it seems to me that only real estate people and Wall Street people think rates are coming down. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I don't know. I'll tell you this. Look, I've been in the mortgage industry for many years. I've been out for a few now, but I can't even tell you how many years we said rates are going up this year. 2013, 2014, 2015, finally 2018. So these situations can persist a lot longer than anybody expects. That's why I don't sell shorts. Whenever you have unlimited downside, it's a little bit frightening. As they say, the market can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. So don't count on anything. But again, I want to say I know that better days are coming. It's highly likely that they are. And timing it is not easy. For a long time, what was it, 2017, I think we had sideways earnings, but the stock market decided that it was going to continue going up. I'm not sure if I've got exactly the right year there, but the point is, is that we've been expecting the stock market to decline significantly, and it took COVID for that to happen. And that was almost a fake bear market there. What was it, like three months or something? I mean, seriously. And that was completely unexpected. The entire country shut down. We've been predicting a lot of things that just don't happen. Smart money is often wrong. Thank you for going down that rabbit hole with me. I appreciate that conversation. You've got three single family homes under construction. What are you doing? I thought you want to go bigger. I thought you wanted to do more multifamily. Well, I say construction is big. So wherever you're at, residential or commercial, it's a great place to be. And I really have my sister to thank for that. She started that business. I worked with her a little bit on that at the outset, but as I alluded to, I wanted to have my own gig and that's when I went to multifamily. So she's still doing that, carrying the family banner started our construction business and put a toehold in that industry for our family. And it's interesting. We were just having a conversation about that the other day. And she said, you know, there's a lot of fifth and sixth generation builders, but there aren't a whole lot of first generation builders. So my hat's off to her for doing that. It's going to take a whole lot more first generation builders to get us out of this housing crisis. We may be building enough for replacement now. We're close to 1.5 million, almost sort of. But the problem is the backlog. We can't just go at replacement building 1.4, 1.5 million a year, we're going to need a whole lot of first generation builders out there. So I think it's a great industry to be in if you're able to do it right. We're not leveraged, so we can do it. As you know, what's going to happen is a lot of them are going to get washed out. We're going to see those housing starts decline in a big way, and we've already seen it. it's already started. You are the perfect person to ask this next question to. I hear from a lot of single family investors about the housing shortage. We have how many years worth of inventory that we're short on. But on the flip side, I see places like Atlanta are oversupplied with multifamily and what's in the pipeline is going to make things even worse. What does that mean? I don't get it. How are we oversupplied and then we don't have enough? Well, I think you got to start at the top and drill down. So yes, we are vastly undersupplied, but real estate is hyper-local. You just can't move it. Even mobile homes, you really can't move them. So you've really got to look at your own market, look at things like absorption, look at the construction that's coming online. But yeah, in general, we're hugely undersupplied, like maybe 5.8 million units. It's just ridiculous. 
we wiped out an entire generation of builders. And between that and the low rates, we saw a pretty major bull run in the market, which now we're having a little bit of a hangover <laughs> therefrom. And focusing on your forte, being a data scientist, what models are you seeing for future development? Is it multifamily? Are you looking into flex commercial real estate at all? Oh, I see. I was thinking in terms of data. In this terms of research, of, sorry. Yeah, got it. Okay. So if, if you don't mind, if I just take it from that angle, when rates go up, you know, builders just get soaked. So we can expect that the starts are going to continue to decline. As for what we're going to need to do, well, people have already been in redevelopment. That's become a huge thing, particularly since the pandemic, things like hotel to multifamily conversion. I think we're going to have to see some more of that. Who knows? Office space is coming back. I've even seen some office to multifamily. So without enough people in construction, we're not going to have enough of anything built in the future. And that means that we're going to potentially have to look at a lot of options, built to rent, maybe smaller homes. We've been building luxury stuff for years and years. Eventually, I think it stands to reason that the low rent has to catch up. And we've seen a lot of that with multifamily. Multifamily has seen a huge increase in building since the Great Recession, although it's taken a bit of a tumble since then. So I think that you're going to definitely see a lot of shakeout from this. George, let's continue on your evolution in multifamily. So we got to the CoGP property. What was your next purchase? Oh yeah. So one of my great friends from Horizon Multifamily found an amazing deal for us right out by where he planted his flag out in Jefferson City, Tennessee. And this is what really got me excited about tertiary markets, mom and pa. I mean, I was excited about that already, but to see that there are places where you can have a tertiary market that people are moving to like crazy. When I say tertiary market, people are like, yeah, you mean stuff where people are moving out? No, no, I'm not talking about Rust Belt stuff. I'm talking about places like the Smoky Mountains where people are just moving there like crazy. That's one of the best deals I've ever seen. And it's something that really ticked all the boxes. Somebody playing the long game, I'll tell you who it was that found it, Tom Kirkpatrick. He drove by one day, said, that's an asset I'd like to purchase. Only way to contact the seller was the number on the pool house, which was self-managed. So it went right to the owner. The owner wasn't ready. Actually, it was the sort of on-site property manager slash handyman. It wasn't ready to sell. A couple calls over five years, and he got a call back after the second call saying, hey, we're ready to deal. So if you're ready and willing to do the hard work and play the long game like that, which I'm speaking primarily here to the newer investors, it's definitely worth it. Are you willing to go out and make some calls like that, drive for dollars? That may be easier than underwriting 100 apartments because when you do get one on the line like that, it's a lot easier than, quite frankly, to say the junk that gets sent to uh, somebody new. If you say, I'm in your market, I'm looking for class C, and oh, they figure out you're new, and they're going to send you their junk for a long time. You got to underwrite a lot of deals. So that was really eye-opening for me just to see the sort of amazing things you can find if you're willing to turn over some rocks, drive for dollars, and look at those smaller deals. George, has that been your evolution is to just co-GP on deals and partner with others? Well, yeah, co-GP, then to partnering with others, I tend to be very social. I do spend a lot of time on the web presence. So partnering with others does really come naturally to me. Yeah, I love it because it leads me into new things. I got to get into a hotel to multifamily conversion that way. In terms of raising capital, what have you seen in the last six months to a year? 
Well, I already mentioned that you're seeing a lot more co-GPs. It's getting a lot harder. People are turning to higher sources. I mean, sometimes more commonly than the past, people are needing gap funding. And once deals are even closed, often they're getting mezzanine funding. It's a very, very tough world out there. A few things that I've learned, some people really thought ahead and they write up their docs, make sure that you have it in your docs that you can add another class of shares if you think you need to do that, or you're going to be stuck with the mezzanine funding, which can be rather expensive. They're both expensive, to be clear. <laughs> Equity is not cheap. Are current LPs seasoned real estate investors, or is it still viable to recruit new people to invest in real estate? Well, I think it's still viable. I think it gets a little harder when everybody's making a ton of money. It's easy. And that's sort of changed. So without a doubt, I think that there is a bit of watershed moment. But again, that's why I think my timing was perfect. Luckily, I got into the business early enough that I'm not trying to break in right now, which I think would have been much harder than when it was that I started in 2020. What's the secret to being successful on LinkedIn? You want authentic content. It's good to bring people along with a story. If you just say, I'm really smart, I'm good at what I do, I make a lot of money, that doesn't help. But if you say, I started out when I was new, I didn't realize the importance of asset management. Well, hey, take a look. Now, this is something that happened at one of my Florida properties. We just had this beautiful community day and look at all these great pictures. This is how we run our apartments. We want to make sure everybody feels appreciated. So if you could take people along the progression, they can see themselves in that. Wherever you are in your journey, people can say like, okay, I get it. You know, maybe I'm a little hesitant to take the first step. You asked me about what is it like to invest out of state, that sort of thing. Let people know I had some butterflies too. It wasn't easy. There were some obstacles. This is how I overcame them. As they say, success is a poor teacher. Take people through your hurdles. They'll learn a lot more, and they'll also be more likely to like and subscribe. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? I think that you really got to put the time in. For the longest time, we've had uh, rising prices, and it was enough to just, come on, just get a deal done. Just get your first deal. But now we're at a time where if it has always been true that a bad deal will hurt you more, then a good deal will help. That's definitely true right now. So make sure that you're meeting the exigencies of the situation head on. Don't just go through here and think that there is easy money to be made because the easy money's already been made. When you get out there and you do look for deals, watch out for the FOMO. I can tell you a couple of years back, what I was hearing all the time is, we can't put an offer at that price because the market's moved on. We'll have the fundamentals moved on. We got to start looking at value rather than price. And I think that that's not really news, I think, to the community. But again, there are a lot more people that are going to be washed out. So if that sounds obvious now, I don't think it's quite obvious enough to everyone yet. Yeah, George, you hit the nail on the head. I can't tell you how many people that I've interviewed when I ask for their best real estate investing advice ever, pre-rates going up, it was always, just do the deal. Do your first deal. Just do it. <laughs> You're right. You can get hurt a lot now. George, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? All right, let's do it. I can't wait. Hit me. All right. What's the best ever book you recently read? Oh, I was going to say Dale Carnegie is one of the first that I read that really helped me to understand the value of people, helped me to become outgoing. I used to be a lot shyer, hard to believe. But for a new one, Tim Ferriss, four-hour work week, just amazing. The guy's full of ideas. 
And although I don't care a whole lot about e-commerce, the idea of how to structure your day and how to live life with a sense of adventure, I got a lot of that out of Tim Ferriss's book. George, what's the best ever way you like to give back? Mentoring. It's just beautiful. It's fun. I came from an academic background. Teaching comes natural to me. And just to be with people, to help other people. I don't know what else there is in the world that generates a greater sense of satisfaction. And George, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? Oh, best ever way to reach out to me is through LinkedIn. I'm there all the time, or you can hit me at george at robertscapitalenterprises.com. George, thank you again for sharing your time. You've given us great nuggets of advice. Thank you for sharing your views on the economy historically and potentially some pitfalls in the future. So we appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I greatly appreciate the opportunity to come on your podcast, Ash. Best ever listeners, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share this podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also, follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.